Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. Nature restoration as a route to a circular economy in association with Symmetris. Great. Hi, everyone. Um, welcome. Uh, my name is Rachel. I'm an associate civil engineer at Symmetries, structural and civil engineering consultants. Uh, Symmetries are kindly sponsoring today's session. Today, we're talking about nature restoration as a route to a circular economy. By moving, by moving from a take-make-waste linear economy to a circular economy, we support natural processes and leave more room for nature to thrive. How can nature restoration and the building of natural capital be spearheaded and supported by the construction industry to create a thriving circular economy? And do nature-based solutions sit at the heart of this? It's these sorts of questions we are aiming to discuss in this panel session. We have three speakers with us today. Tabitha Binding, Head of Education at Timber Development UK. Tabitha has made a career for herself working within the timber industry for many years and has a wide breadth of experience and knowledge. Her current role is Head of Education at Timber Development UK, where through active engagement with industry members, academia and professionals, she encourages the building of a better timber future. Next we have Dougal Driver. Dougal is the CEO of Grown in Britain, an independent not-profit organisation which focuses on increasing the demand for British timber, getting more woods managed and planted so that the increased demand can be met, and creating a new wood culture in the UK to grow appreciation of where wood has been sourced locally and encourage respect for our British woodlands. And finally, Graham Edgel. Graham is Director of Procurement and sustainability at Morgan Sindel. He is responsible for overseeing and leading sustainability across all areas of the business, a role he has grown into over his 20 plus years at Morgan Sindel. Welcome. Um, the format of this session over the next 40 minutes or so will be a short presentation each from both Tabitha and Dougal, followed by a 15 minute discussion amongst the panel members. Then we've allocated about 10 minutes for questions and answers. Remind us to submit your questions via Flindo on the Footprint app or raise your hand and we'll get to you. I'll now, now pass over to Tabitha. Thank you. Yeah, I can hear that you can hear me. Um, well, all starts with this. Well, this is the timber stage behind. We are talking about like circularity. Um, so, thank you, Rachel, for the introduction. Um, yeah, I work for Timber Development UK, uh, which is an amalgamation of TRADA and the Timber Trade Federation. We merged last year to connect the supply chain to lead best practice and accelerate a low-carbon future. But are there any uh, members of TRADA in the audience? Are ex-TRADA? Yeah, Charlie's hands up. So, no TDUK members? in the audience, oh, maybe three. How many architects? Yeah, oh brilliant. Engineers? Foresters? Ah, always knew Dougal would be there. So that's really where it all begins. But, so going back to any of you, did you uh, learn about timber in your, as you trained to become a professional? No. Dougal, I know, would have done. Graham wouldn't, uh, no. no, nothing. So I have been here since this morning 
and I've heard a lot of mistruths talked about timber to start with. So we have got a lot of work to do on education, which is why we spent time working on a skills action plan to find out you know, what the industry needs to know and professionals if we are to use timber as a way to decarbonize construction. Uh, we have a uh, Timber TED course, so if you'd like to learn more about it, come and give us a shout. You will actually, if you came on it, you would go to a woodland and you would actually see the nature-based solutions that we are actually talking about. But you would actually see productive forestry, because I think the two have to go hand in hand. You'd go to your sawmill, so you'd see your conversion. You'd go to your construction site uh, and you'd get so much in one day. But how do we educate our future professionals so they actually value woodlands for all the multiple benefits they can bring? So for the water attenuation, for the biodiversity, for the amenities. But then how do you pay for that if you don't actually grow productive woodlands for timber? So we run a design challenge for students and we bring them all together so they actually understand it interdisciplinary. So how many people know how trees grow? Yeah, one at the front. So a seed, some sunlight, some water, and a ground, you know, some earth, up it goes. I bet you've all got seedlings or trees in your garden somewhere that you don't want. Jenny at the back's nodding, going, yeah, I've got to get those out, yeah. That sycamore seedling, that ash seedling, yeah, it's a growing. But they all start with the pith. They grow so much in a year, it could be an inch. Sorry, I'm old. It could be a foot, um, but always from the center. So the pith goes up, and then the sullet second year, you get the uh, next layer on top, and then the next layer on top. So that's why if you want to an age a tree, you've always got to cut it through the bottom. And every year that it grows up, the branches grow out, new branches grow out, absorb the sunlight, and up it goes. Those branches are knots within the tree. So that is the thing. So that can be a strength-reducing factor if you're an engineer. So again, less knots, stronger timber. So again, so many people are planning to use timber from our productive forests, but got loads of samples there to talk about. You know, what are you going to use? Are you going to use it in the round? Or are you going to go and use bamboo? How is it converted? How, so timber, timber, timber growers are getting between 10 and 20 pounds per tonne for a mature tree and it could have taken 40 to 60 years to grow are you going to use cross laminated timber so the um yeah deagle Dougal is going to be on the same cross laminated timber or are you actually going to use something that uses sorry less timber in it so that there's more timber to go round? so if you use say an eye joist you're using less timber so that would enable more buildings to be built with timber in them. Homegrown, homegrown timber, homegrown OSB, actually homegrown CLT, but this is a pilot plant. We don't manufacture it at, um, at scale. And I know I'm probably going a little bit, don't go over time. So again, really consider what product you're using and use it in the right place. And sustainable woodlands, you know, how do we encourage the design of buildings so that the products within them can be used in the circular economy. If you use solid timber, 
you can take it out and it can have a second life and maybe a third life and maybe in a fourth life it can be chipped. But if you use something like cross-laminated timber because of the glues and the structural um, testing of it, you might not be able to use it again. You probably wouldn't be able to use an eye joist again. So when you're talking about circularity, really consider what you're thinking about. Don't just use it as a word, as, as the emperor's new clothes, you know, circularity, it's, it's, a, it's a means to an end. This lovely um, diagram comes from Tomorrow's Timber, so Pablo van der Luc. And trees in the UK take anything from 40 to 60 years to grow when we're talking about softwoods. If they're coming from Sweden, it could be 80 years to 100 years. Um, currently, well, in the UK, sorry, these figures are a bit old. We get most of our timber from the EU. Uh, we do get some from UK. Please ignore Russia. Obviously, we do not get any timber from Russia at all now. Do we have enough timber? So that's what obviously will, will be talked about. We, um, the annual growth, the standing wood at the beginning of the year, plus the annual growth, minus the annual felling, minus any pests and diseases, minus any fire, hopefully will lead to the annual increment. That means that it, currently within the EU, we have more timber every year in forestry um, than less. So we're now we're talking about productive forestry grown for nature-based solutions. So, you know, the, we have all the amenities from them, but their main purpose is to grow timber, and we are still, we've got more of them. But as we move to a timber-based economy, there's going to be more people after that timber. And obviously, we all know that timber stores carbon. Um, again, from tomorrow's timber. So, um, 250 kilograms, so in a cubic meter of softwood, again, it gives you, that includes 250 kilograms of carbon, which is 0.9 tonnes of carbon dioxide, um, you know, sequestered carbon. But remember, and I'm now going to hang it over to Google, use lean timber construction that lasts longer in its first life than it took to grow and has the potential for multiple second lives. Then we won't be looking for more ground to grow timber you know in and we can use it for multiple multiple purposes i am going to hand over to Dougal. thank you I've lost my thanks tabitha thank you very much so um hi everybody um uh, these pits of timber that um tabitha's showing there uh, are largely around developing and researching into new products from UK timber. What we're able to say in 2023 is that there's not a lot we can't make now out of British timber, apart from things like particle boards, because it's hard for us to certify all the ingredients, particularly from recycled. And Grown in Britain does what it says on the tin. It's about trees and timber and the products that are grown in, in, in Britain. But um, the material you'll see in that picture in the opening slide there, all of that material can now be made out of Grown in Britain certified materials. So do ask if you want to make something, get in touch with, with me or Grown in Britain. What do we do? We, we're a not-for-profit, we collaborate. And fundamentally our business-to-business -business offer is that we're a certif certification scheme. We're 10 years old this year, um, came about through a campaign that was about, in a way, saving our woodlands because they, the public forest estate was potentially going to be sold off around uh, 12 years ago. 
Um, and we realized that there was a huge actual interest from um, construction companies, um, but also from society wanting to make more of our woods. And we, we connect the supply chain together because the, the logical, the most practical, the kind of what have I always done supply chain is get it from where I used to get it, FSC, international timber, a merchant. Well, that isn't about provenance, that's about a material. And wood is better than some other materials. I heard somebody talking about low carbon concrete earlier, so I'll duck a, a little bit there. I look forward to knowing a bit more about that. So just back on that certification, you might be aware of FSC and PFC uh, that certify sustainability and legality. Um, we do the same thing. And we've got uh, over 300,000 hectares of the UK forest. We've got hundreds of certification um, organizations within the supply chain from woodlands through to sawmills, through to wood fuel, to um, uh, laminated timber companies, um, Urkel furniture, orange box furniture, etc. all certified with, with us. And, and what, what the reason why we're growing, and we, really, we, have, we have been growing in the last four years exponentially, is because we also certify UK provenance. No one else does that. International certification can be a blend of um, certified timber from different sources. And it's important if you're um, sourcing international timber that you do get one of these other certifications. We don't certify international timber, we certify UK grown timber and, and all of the forest products that go with it. So, uh, you know, Tabitha, wood is good, local is better and our certification equals that verification that you really do need. Um, Self-proclaimed homegrown, if you have a merger, say, yeah, I got it from Fred down the road. You wouldn't do that with organic. You wouldn't do that with FSC. So don't do it with someone who says they've got homegrown timber. It's not worth, it's not worth it. It's just like anecdotal. So don't do it. Don't accept it. Give us a call. Tell them to speak to us. Sorry, got a bit angry there, didn't I? It's a bit hot day. Um, so uh, just a few figures and stats for you. Um, on the right-hand side, yeah, for you, the um, average in, U in the Europe for woodland cover is 46%. The average in the UK is 13.3%. Okay, there are reasons for that. It's not great. Um, as you may know, on the, on the back of the last election was fought with manifestos about who will plant more trees. Extinction Rebellion, it's all about trees. Are you going to plant this many? And it was great for some of us who really wanted to hear all of that. Um, and actually what it's manifested itself in is that, uh, well, it took a while, but earlier this year, uh, the government announced that they want to go to a legally binding target of 16.5% wooden cover in the UK by 2050. 2050 seems a long way away, but actually in terms of changing the land use of the UK, a, a farmer, a landowner, converting to something that's such a long-term crop, the hardwoods will be not 40 or 60, they're gonna be 90, 120, 180, 250 for oak, um, it's, a, it's a major decision for a landowner, so we, um, I'm going to stick around and try and make that happen and support the government, but it's going to be a tough one. But as you can see, we're way below um, the European average. Um, but don't get me wrong, we'll always need to import timber. Tabitha mentioned some figures. I don't know whether you put it up, but it's a, about 85% we import of our timber needs. Um, but we do that by neglect, whilst we ne neglect our own supplies. So. Not being able to su supply everything is one thing, but actually having the ability to supply a lot more is not good. When Groningen Britain came about, we were about 64% of our woodlands were undermanaged, not managed to their potential. It's now down to about 42%, but that's, you know, depending on how you want to count it, that's about half of our woodlands. 
So half of that low level of woodland is not managed well, so we import more timber. And by, by importing timber we don't need to do, not only are you maybe not as sustainable as you could be, you're not breathing life and nature into those woodlands. Because when you thin a woodland, the light hits the forest floor, you get the, the flowers, you get the herbage, you get the insects on that. Sorry, back to O-level GCSE biology, but it's basics that you need that light, you need to manage the woodlands. Very few of UK's woodlands are undermanaged. The idea that you don't touch woodlands is a myth. They've always been an industrial part of our system. There are places, special places, special woodlands, ancient woodlands, don't touch. Look after them for what their specialness is. But most are highly managed. So we do need to get that 42% down so that you guys can procure and use more homegrown timber. And I'm a happier bunny and don't get so angry. So long-term benefits to the environment, getting into this nature piece. It's pretty obvious to me. It may not be obvious to all. I often feel uh, I need to explain some of this stuff. My apologies if you know all this and it's obvious to you, but trees breathing carbon dioxide, fix it into a sustainable biophilic carbon and they breathe out oxygen. What's not to like? Woodland that's well managed can reduce, does reduce flooding. Uh, you, you will see in water catchments, it's a, tree, it's a tree covered water catchment in the upper headwaters and riparian zones in trees slow down the flood. We have a real flooding issue. If you, could, if you put the money you'd save from using trees to stop flooding out of the flooding budget into that planting more trees to take that 13.5% up, you'd solve it. Any politicians in the room? Just switch a bit of money around and we, if the wildlife habitats I've mentioned. That's a quick trot through, um, but ultimately it's people that matter the most. Um, that's, that's me and that's Graham at, at Burnham. We've worked on a project together to restore nature uh, on a site in Oxfordshire, which is actually um, not only about carbon, but it's about many other things as well. And I'm sure we'll bring that out in the discussion. So that's, uh, that's me done. I'll leave that slide up so it sort of sets the scene. Thank you. Okay, do you want to... Well, that leaves me then, doesn't it? Um... <laughs> Look, I'm, I work for a contracting business, so we're a little bit different to the others. It's not all about timber, no disrespect to my colleagues. We are a big industry that impacts upon the world, full stop, and we just do. And so where we are, we actually need to correct the balance. So there is a balance and there's a moral balance for contractors to fill. I think that's, that floats around for a long time. But fiscally, there are barriers to us being able to do that. Now, without regulatory change, and TNFD is just round the corner, and some of the other planning uh, requirements around Section 106, we do need to do it. So really, before the regulation hits us, there are lots of people, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there, that wants to start the process now which is why I agreed to come up and participate in the debate, is that we do need to actually overcome the derelict land that's in the UK. We're a very small space. There's a lot of derelict land. It's not just about trees. It could be about peatland. It could be about just urbanised derelict land that we can convert into a restoring nature. But to do that fiscally, in an industry with a very small margin, we need us all to participate. And really, that's the start of the debate for me. What are you, what are you all going to do to join in? Now, 
there's lots of examples, but unless we collate and join together, we will not make a difference. It'll all be nice things to do. So the first thing you need to do is create the infrastructure, which if it is Timber UK or grown in Britain, get involved. If it is restoring peatland or creating nature habitats with the other agencies that do that, do it. Because we are the big impactor as construction. So that's just me to throw it out there. I'm willing to take anybody on, by the way, so have a go. <laughs> Where are we from there, Rachel? I've had into a bit of discussion between yourselves. Is there a question? Just heading to a bit of discussion between yourselves. Um, yeah. So, um, what do you think the first step is for? I mean, I've known you a while, Graham, and you, you've got it in 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 you. I think naturally to want to challenge and not uh, greenwash, not to make statements that are superficial. Um, I come across it all the time that uh, people don't really understand the depth and the thinking you need to put behind going down a homegrown and um, timber supply route it's not something you can necessarily just um, tell your contractor or tell your subcontractors to just go and do you can't just necessarily specify it and what would be your uh, apart from your challenge what would be your advice to to other organizations to to dig a little well we we, we can do it but, but at the moment it's a differentiator isn't it and so I work for Morgan Sindel, would I not differentiate Morgan Sindel rather than collaborate? And so unless we actually go back and join together, we will not make a significant change or an impact. Now it will come because regulatory change is going to come and it's those early adopters. But we can ignore the fact in a 2% sector, somebody, and it's somewhere in the brief that I got given, fiscal barriers come into play insurance companies who actually insure the product that we deliver with timber in it uh, we've just had some issues with changes in timber regulation in terms of how many stories we could go what we can do with it and so but we need to not lobby government but show government and set an example and so from the designers and the uh, developers in the room i can tell you that our business would sit down and talk to you tomorrow because we are committed to making a way forward so ignore the fiscal bit at your peril we need to deal with it and talk about it yes so the collaboration um what drives me nuts is everybody's in silos the contractors in silo the architects in the silo the engineers in the silo it's can we have interdisciplinary um, design and delivery teams and where you are looking at more natural materials, you so need to have people within those teams who understand them. Because yeah, as you said, with insurance, it tends to be about fire. But actually, insurance people are really worried about water. And as the climate warms up, we're going to have more fires. We're going to have more rainstorms. You know, as we use these more natural materials, um, we need to understand them better. I'm going to have to throw flat roofs in here. Anybody who's designed a flat roof who's sitting in the audience, <laughs> please leave now. We need the water to shed off buildings. And so coming back to um, um, yourselves, um, Graham, as Morgan Sindel, I mean, you are a construction 
company. I mean, you, yeah. you, you, you deliver construction. So it comes back to the nature-based solutions is maybe offsetting some of the, the damage we're doing to the planet by actually constructing you know, um, anything. So let alone with timber. So obviously, you know, Dougal and I believe that building with timber is less harmful than building with other materials. Um, contractors can actually help us develop those woodlands by, yes, specifying homegrown timber, saying that we actually do want wood fibre insulation, you know, manufactured in the UK. Actually getting, you know, getting to grips using some of the timbers that unfortunately we're going to be losing. So this is ash glulam, um, UK timber manufactured in the UK, but it has a disease called phytophthora, uh, not phytophthora, Kalara. Kalara. So we we will. How sad the, am I? Yeah, it's large. It's ash. You know, hard wood, soft woods. You know, get all our diseases wrong. This won't be around for that much longer unless we actually get, you know, the buy-in from. You're not going to like this, Tabitha, but you've got to go back in the food chain. <laughs> As a tier one contractor, we're some way down the food chain. The only way you will get change is to break down the UK into someone else thought of it before us, they called it counties or urban mm. areas, because that's how circular economy will work. Logistics and you designers out there who specify, stop copying the same spec you drew up 15 years ago. Deal with it locally and create centres of excellence that people can accept. So I listened to a guy earlier on from Enfield Council who had tried to create a circular economy with reuse of product. He's got, he's got the basis of a cracking idea because you have to make it fiscally viable. Do it localised, make it acceptable by the regulatory people and the insurers will follow. If you just leave it out as a let the roulette wheel go round, you lose 61, well, 36.1, isn't it? 36 times you're going to spin the wheel, you can only win once. And so it's up to you, it's up to the people in the room to make it work. Break it down, localise it, and then target the area, not just timber. Mm. Yeah. Derelict mm. land. Mm. I, we're going to go to questions soon, so I hope you guys have got some questions because you don't want to listen to us. Yeah. We've got about 15 minutes. Yeah, um, got... I want to just challenge you a little bit around um, something that I think, I mean, I, I, I come from the woods, so what do I know? But it, it seems to me as I work my way up this food chain or timber chain, I get to know people like Graham and clients and we do CPD talks to <laughs> There's architects. There's a creature in my glass. Nature. We just Nature. Drowned, it's yeah, worked. But it's not swimming, it's dead. So <laughs> we can... Sorry. Oh, you've got to declare that now. No. Um, what I want to challenge you about is I believe that there's a story to be told about, I'm sure, a lot of what you do, and I noticed architects and design and engineer hands went up in the air. If you go to the client and, and perhaps even your own practice and your own teams and your colleagues, isn't it better when there's a story and a narrative that goes along with what you're actually building and constructing? It feels to me that if you take a... If you, if you take the extra time and you dig into the things that we're, we're saying and being a bit challenging on, is that you can actually you know, look at nature restoration, you can actually achieve these circular economies. And what you get with that is a very, very happy marketing director. And what you get with that is a very, very happy client on the whole. That's what I see anyway. 
So I, I, I challenge you whether you, 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 you agree with me, whether this is important or not, and if you disagree on how difficult it might be. And I, I, sorry, Rachel, but I think we should move to questions yeah, and uh, discussion out there absolutely, as well. Absolutely, yeah, we've got quite a few here. Um, how does viewing wood as an extract, extractable resource affect how we consider other targets, e.g. biodiversity? Okay, so can I come in on that one? So, um, Grown in Britain, is a, we, we write standards and we, we've written a standard for the creation of woodland as well and we, we're working on a metric for the management of woodland. So this isn't just a standard on the, the timber, that, you know, certifying that that's come from where it said it came from legally and responsibly. Oh, right. But um, what, what we've done, and what we've done at the woodland that are on that estate there with, with, with Morgan Sindel Group, is actually we've, we've created a metric to increase the biodiversity of the site where the woodlands are going. So in terms of the um, low-grade, heavily tilled, um, high input um, agricultural land that was poor grade and actually was only ever really making any money because of in incentive subsidies. That's now turned into a place with 14 kilometer extra kilometers of, of footpaths for health and well-being for the local population. But the biodiversity is going through the roof because what you're doing is you're taking a very poor habitat and you're creating a 3D habitat with a, a myriad of species. You can hardly count the fungal species in, a, in an old oak tree, there's that many, let alone the birds and the insects that are created in a woodland. That's why you guys go and walk in woodlands. That's why if you want to go, the Forestry Commission has a million visitors to it, honey, honeypot sites every year, because it's in a woodland, because there's lots of wildlife, it's rich, it's biodiverse. So there's a complete compatibility, and I mentioned light to the forest floor. You, you create timber products by, by managing that woodland, by thinning it, and then felling it and replanting it. It's actually illegal under the Forestry Act here, 1967, I could cite the paragraph, to fell a woodland without permission from the Forestry Commission in this country. Now that isn't the case in other parts of the world. In this country, it's in virtually impossible, unless for HS2, to remove a woodland from the landscape. So it is, it, you know, not only is it, is it sustainable, but it's done to standards. And we're, we're upping those standards as well through our own certification. Uh, question for Graham. It's a fair point that we all have a role, and you mentioned there are some great examples, but what are they and what can MS do to contribute? Sorry, I missed that, was it? I'm not sure. I can put your mic near. I can't, well, we can't hear, but can you hear that? Is it because your speakers are pointing towards you? Oh. Uh, so, it's a question to Graham. It's a fair point that we all have a role, and you mentioned there are some great examples, but what are they and what can MS do to contribute? Well, you asked where it is, the advert. Um, we've just planted 360,000 trees on a landed estate. It will develop uh, over its, in the next 25, 30 years, it will deliver 69,000 tonnes of carbon. We're measuring the air quality. We've improved the quality of two rivers. And I, I never used to get excited about this because I'm a Plymouth Argyle supporter. So. But we, we, we actually got three colonies of bees inside six months. And so I could wax lyrical about Blenheim all day long, but we're also joined forces with the RSPB in Lake and Heath to create a nature reserve where we're again measuring nature, the restoration of peat, so the sequestration of carbon, and we're working on 11 sites in the peatlands in the North Pennines 
to actually retain the water and make sure that they save that for the future environment. So, but there's loads of people out there doing as many good things. We, are, we as Morgan Sindel, are willing to share that with the industry, but you need to participate. And did it cost money? There is a fiscal barrier. I mean, one of our MDs here in the audience, and I won't point him out because he's undercover, but at the end of the day, he's had to go and work harder and harder and harder for us to produce that cash to invest. We don't get any brownie points for it. There are no carbon credits out there yet. Peatland Co. doesn't even made its mind up whether you can have any. So all I'm saying to you is it's going to be a leap yeah, of faith until regulatory something. standards come in place. So, Graham, can I come in on that? Absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Um, who's going to then pay for the management of that woodland for the next 30 years? How, what is the... We are. We, yeah. We've signed up on all three sites for 25 or 30 years. So you can't do it for plant the trees and then wander off. And plus the fact they're being validated <laughs> by Grown in Britain. Uh, so they're third party validated and so they will deliver. And so it's not something, nature doesn't come round in six minutes. You've got to stay in there for the long haul. Uh, we've had a question uh, about, to myself and Dougal, uh, could you say something about rainfall attenuation on high ground and how trees help with that? I just didn't hear, sorry. Could you say something about rainfall attenuation on high ground Rain. and how trees yeah. help with that? Uh, I can do a bit. I mean, in terms of, um, they slow the, in terms of, let's take, I'll do from the catchment and I'll stop when the, at the forest gate, okay? So in, 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 in nature, in, in, in out there in the landscape, um, they say slow the flow. Uh, it's, it's a simple mechanical process. And, um, you know, they, they literally do slow it down. So, um, and, and there's other ways of using natural um, flood solutions, such as using, uh, you know, trees to, to block, to have woody dams, as they're called. Uh, you can actually get a grant from the Forestry Commission as a landowner to put in a woody dam across your stream just to slow the flow. So they work when they're upright and the foliage slows everything down in basic terms, but they can also work when they're actually just slowing the flow. But once it gets out of the forest, then it goes into a sawmill, it gets into a product. Yes, yeah, so I used to work for Coyd Cymru, which is all about more and better trees on farms for multiple benefits. And water attenuation it was exactly that. So you can go and look up online a study called Pont Bren, which is up in the Mid Wales, in the uplands, there was 10 group of farmers. And they did exactly that. They planted trees around and they mapped all the flooding zones and they planted the trees. And within 10 years, it made such a difference, not only to the ground, not only to flooding downstream, of the villages downstream but they were also bringing in the whole biodiversity the um, microclimates they had better um, animal health so again it, it's by planting trees it really does exactly what Dougal said it actually does slow the flow of that timber well if you, if you go to Blenheim where we're the valley from the river Dorn and the river Glyne was a waste of time it, it got to the fact that it was derelict land almost so by stopping the cultivation on the hillsides and planting trees, we've now stopped the capability lake at Blenheim silting up, which is saving the estate a million pounds. So there are benefits, and they were things that I didn't even know about. We, we just did it for the, 
for the nature piece, but the spin-offs are massive. Uh, but we've got that far because of the expertise of the likes of Drone in Britain. So I just urge you to get involved. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> uh, you may have heard about nutrient neutrality as an issue for planning and development. Um, you know, areas such as Ashford in Kent not able to expand their very much needed housing capacity because there's too much fertiliser and other nutrients. Well, if, if by planting those upper catchments, it slows the flow and those nutrients get held back in the soil. They don't get washed into the watercourse. So it has a massive impact on things like affordable housing and growth as well. Absolutely. So just a couple more questions. Um, how can we integrate derelict sites and the natures which emerge there, e.g. rewilding into the circular economy rather than constructing pristine natures? Uh, using rewilding in, um, yeah, in, so in construction sites as opposed to pristine, do you mean like landscape, pure landscaping potentially yeah. the question yeah. is? Well, uh, you, know, you asked for the advert again, well we're already having a go, so um, rather than creating the lovely smooth landscape, cut grass equivalent, we have started to invest, and I can't say too much on the stage in the minute, but with the RHS and with the Eden project to create habitats where we can't do it on the site physically we will do it on the verges on the embankments on the way leaves so that we can actually add value even though we may not be able to do it on the site so if you're in the middle of an urban area what do you do to get your net gain or your, your TNFD requirement well that's where you've got to start locating with your clients, with the, the local authority, the land in your area, which you can do some good with. And I don't, there's nothing wrong with social value. And I heard the lady from Rebuild earlier, it was a great story. You can paint Brownies Huts 58 times for social value. But the long-term benefit is to improve the nature and the habitat that we all live in. So that, that um, natural habitat, that, that rewilding or that wilding will still need to be managed and looked after. You know, as we saw in Sheffield, suddenly they just took all the trees down and it became completely barren wasteland. So again, consider when you are rewilding what you're planting. So multiple shrubs, multiple trees, multiple plants. You know, we um, hazel, we, we've lost our touch with hazel and coppicing. So, you know, every seven to ten years, you can actually take a crop off that. But, you know, but, Dougal's been, yeah. Already, Tabitha, their mm. conservation grants mm. uh, for 30 years are going to be part of your PQQs. So they're on their way. Yep. And so you're better off starting to prepare for those 30-year. Mm. Now, whoever takes the 30-year obligation, it could be the client, but I guarantee it'll be offloaded down to the tier one. I just can see it. And that's why we're not doing it just to be good and setting an example. We're actually doing it to have a license to operate as a contractor. Great, thank you. Uh, so one, one last question, um, are we in a position to start growing higher grade timber for construction in the UK, i.e. C24? Who asked that question about C24? Why am I looking at yeah, you, Charlie? That wouldn't have been you, would it? Jeez. Yeah. Um, Are you really brave okay. enough to put their hand up? Is, is, that, is someone in the audience who asked that question? No. Okay, I'll see you after, sir. Yeah. And so, um, C16 is a construction grade timber, which you'll understand asking that question, which we grow a lot of in the UK. Um, and often C24 is specified 
over-specified. Tabitha tells me quite often, in fact, you've done a project to prove this, which you might want to mention in, in, the, in a minute. But um, uh, I urge you to, 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 to not necessarily focus on C24. It's not, a, it's not the kind of timber, we don't have the kind of supply chains that can supply a huge amount of it here. But actually, I don't think you need to. You, when you're sticking things together and making mass timber, it, you know, the, the standard of the engineering is a different question, isn't it? So I'll let Tab go into that. But um, the other thing is that ask, that's the kind of question you need to ask, which is, I think, what Graham's getting at. And I hope we're all trying to get at is, you know, just think a little bit beyond that and do a little bit of research. You only have a have to word with have a word with Tabitha or Charlie from TD UK or any you know, and they will tell you exactly what the score is there. So Tab, you've you've done a project on this, haven't you? With and might have you done some? Is that house it's partly got a lot of C C12 in it? So we, 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 we did, we did a, a lot of work with um, Wood Knowledge Wales and Coyd Cymru again and um, in, in Scotland they've been looking at C16 plus with um, ah, Dan Ellis. but again it's like C16 do you actually you know C24 do you need it so main the C20 we used to use a, you know a lot of homegrown timber and we used to absolutely manage fine with C16 uh, we can grow timber to C24, and in fact, if you specify a Douglas fir beam grown from the UK, as long as it's 100 wide by 200 mil deep, C24, yeah. East, not a problem. East Brothers in Hampshire, Growing yeah. Bridge certified, they can supply exactly yeah. that. Exactly, exactly. See? Um, um, but yeah, do you need it? So a lot of the design engineering software actually has C24 as de default, but where was the, the software designed? It was designed in Sweden or Norway, and why wouldn't they put C24? And there's a little button there, and you can change it. So you can move to things. But yes, yeah, should we grow better trees in Britain? Of course we should. That's why we do have grown in Britain. We have understanding how trees are planted and how they are managed is hugely, hugely important. And then whether it's clear fell or whether it's continuous cover, which species you put together, plant them close together, manage them actually properly, thin them a bit like carrots. You know, these are tree farms. Yeah. We used to grow a boat skin larch. I mean, boat skin large, uh, the growth rings in it, you know, like a millimetre apart, no knots whatsoever. But this is like the early 1900s. So again, it's understanding, but it's growing, but that will be really, really slow. So, you know, if we want something, you know, that's fast growing, that is still strong enough, then, you know, like 50, 60 years and yeah, C16 mainly, only because we can get the most out of those logs. We use more of it. Great, thank you so much. I think we we started late, so we're ending late. Um, um, we should draw things to a close now. Um, thank you for your time. Really interesting, and thank you everyone for your questions. I hope you enjoy the rest of the footprint. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, yeah, Rachel. Thank you. <laughs>